Welcome to Cheesesteaks and Dragons. I'm Kevin, an engineering nerd from Jersey. And I'm Noemi, a map slash data nerd from Brooklyn. Each episode will dive into different topics in the world of RPGs. Classes and characters. Dungeon mastering. Fantastic world. New rules. Indie games. And every episode will taste and review cheesesteaks from shops all over the Philly area. So this week we're going to talk about the origins of this podcast, why we play RPGs. We'll also discuss the new Baldur's Gate 3. And give our reviews for Sunny and Campos Cheesesteaks, which we had in Old City, Philadelphia. So, Baldur's Gate 3 just came out. Oh, let's, let's talk about this. So <laughs> much. So much to talk about. Yeah, I've, I've been spending some time playing. Uh, it just came out. It is early access, which means it's it's beta. If I don't even, even call it beta. Pre-beta? Pre-beta, alpha. So, quick thoughts about, like, the... First of all, it looks great. It, it's really pretty. All the characters look uh, uh, fantastic, like very lifelike. That said, like the the, the menus, the controls, the uni- user interface, they're very con- confusing, uh, especially if you have to use a, a controller. Yeah, we uh, should say that we're playing it on Stadia. Yes, but yeah, if, you have, if you're using a controller, the uh, it, it's hard to know which buttons to do what. Nothing is is uh, quite obvious, and like a, like random thing, I would like scroll away from the action, like look off something a little bit to the left. I can't figure how to get the focus back on my character. Mm. Like, that's a weird specific thing. That is really weird, yeah. Uh, there's also, like, no tutorial yet. Uh, and there's just a lot of bugs. A lot of big, silly bugs. This is definitely, right now, geared for people who have experience in 5th edition. Like, I remember, like, looking at it and I was like, damn, if I hadn't played 5th edition before, I think the learning curve right now is astronomical. Yeah. I think this is the first uh, D&D game that's based on 5th edition. Yeah, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the other thing is the uh, their character creation is really nice. It, it, it's very sort of simple and straightforward. It's just like a series of buttons to click. The characters you can make look great. The downside is that like the they don't have a lot of choices yet in terms of like how you have like f- 10 faces to choose from. Mm-hmm. And they all look kind of similar mm-hmm. and some are just kind of bad you don't want. Right. Uh, you can't change, like, height or weight yet. Yeah, like, I, was it's good, I was waiting but... to do that, because when I was playing my character together, yeah. maybe it's because I was playing Skyrim, like, up, you know, I've been playing Skyrim for a few years now. Sure. And I know with the ESO Online, you can change, like, every, it, it's so minutiutious sometimes, it's, like, too much. Oh, yeah. But I was totally yeah. expecting that here, so I was a little disappointed. You like, change how, where the eyebrows are Oh, no, face. yeah, you can do, like... I think you can do that in The Sims, too. I remember <laughs> playing Sims, and you can do some weird stuff, but, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. So they they all that stuff's a little limited right now, but they'll probably show up more as the they develop it a little bit longer. In terms of like the gameplay, I thought that it was tough to play with a controller. Uh, mouse and keyboard was a lot simpler. It's a lot more like click on what you uh, what you want to deal with or click where you want to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made a lot of uh, l- little changes from fifth edition. And it's one of those things where there's just lo- just there's lots of rules in D and D to begin with, but then they made lots of changes to that, and like they're not well explained. Mm-hmm. They don't have good tool tips. They don't have good explainers or tutorials no. or anything. No, like I said, you need fifth edition experience for this. The font sucks. Oh. It is too damn small. I I have a pretty decent sized television, and I play in my living room. I need to sit on my coffee table, and I wear glasses. I'll give, I'll give you that. Yep. But to read the words, I'm like, I'm really hoping they make this a little more compliant mm-hmm. for people like myself who can't see. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's You wouldn't think it would be that hard to do. Fingers crossed. Oh, and the one thing, neat thing they did, 
they and I think this is sort of adapted from uh, a previous game called uh, Divinity Two. Mm-hmm, I've heard of it. And is that like the the terrain you're on makes a big deal, whether you're on so the high ground or you're down down below somebody. Uh, where the shadows are, uh, if there's oil or ice or fire or something on the ground you're walking past, all these things matter. Mm. All these things affect uh, how easy you are to hit, what you can do, blah, blah, blah. And it's neat from a tactical perspective. And it's the kind of thing like it's really hard to do in like a tabletop RPG. Right. Playing with ro- rolling dice on a table. Right. But it's great in a video game. So I like that. It's funny when I realized either you told me or I was watching something on YouTube that you could like climb on things. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not used to really doing that in a game. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, and then you told me you get, did you get like a bonus or something from like shooting something from up being up high and shooting? Yeah. And I was like, that would have been nice to have known to like have known from the beginning. Oh yeah, I was playing a, a a a random thing and and I was going through some creepy basement and a bunch of skeletons appeared and a bunch of had bows and arrows. All the skeletons ran up to like this weird thing in the corner, got on top of this like high ledge and shot me with arrows. Oh no! So they're up high and they're in the dark, so I couldn't hit them at all. Oh no! It was like yeah, That's... I was just not prepared for that. <laughs> but yeah, so what what do you think of it? Um, like what do you what do you think as as a whole? What do you think of Baldur's Gate three so uh, far? I really like it. I've never played anything like this before, so I was super excited to hear there was going to be a video game based on D and D, like legit D and D. Not that I mean, I love role playing games yeah. in general, sure. especially video games. Yeah. Um, but I thought this was really neat. I think um, so. My first impressions are uh, again a tutorial would have been nice, especially for someone not familiar to D and D. Uh, I'm hoping that we'll get more people playing D&D, like, once they, like, hopefully they'll really like this game and be like, oh, I want to do this on pen and paper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. This is the lore. This is, like, the the, the thing sucks them in. Yes, yes. Um, It was really annoying to get hurt when you're walking around in the fire, especially on the ship in the beginning. Oh, yeah. Because it's hard to tell where you're walking. Yes. And maybe if I had zoomed in a little more, it would have been better. But there's so much red and black in, like, that first few scenes. Sure. Um, it was just like, it was like, remember, I remember you said, oh, I took all this damage and I was walking. And I was like, oh, man, it's because, like, maybe you don't know how to walk. And then what's happening to me, I'm like, all right, this is, like, real BS. Um, oh, yeah. But the first time I played the game, turned it on, played for ten, five, ten minutes. And I died because I walked through fire that I didn't realize I was walking through. Oh, see, yeah, no, that's not cool. Um, I also thought that controls were hard to understand. Um, but then, like I said, I'm a klutz when it comes to a controller. Um, I play a lot of Xbox. And now that I've been playing a Switch, now on my Switch, it's like, it's like it's not that many buttons. So to go back and I was like, I have to like hotkey, like what's what, you know? So hopefully <laughs> uh, I'll figure out to, uh, how to do it. Overall, I did like it. I'm really looking forward to playing more. I just haven't had a chance. You've had... Some more time playing with it, so I'm always asking you, oh, what'd you do today in Baldur's Gate, you know? <laughs> I found an owlbear. Oh, I know, I heard about it. Don't, he's kind of spoiled it for me, but I had seen, like, the owlbear pictures and some of the yeah. pre-release stuff. So freaking cute. As far as character creation, I liked it. It was a little bit overwhelming at times, but I think it's because I was so excited to play. Mm. I was like, oh, like, I just want to build something, you know, I just want to play it. Um... Mm. I think this eight initial racers were good, though they're your basic D&D classes, which is fine, you know. 
I like the ability to choose from so many colors. I mean, so many colors. Like, you could even expand the palette. <laughs> Crazies. And, you know, I thought their faces and clothing were really uh, nice nice looking. Yeah. You know? I went with my usual choice of a high elf because that's what I'm familiar with. And mm-hmm. also, she's a rogue. Yeah. I thought the women love interests had some very interesting clothing choices. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, oh, oh they, they, there's a part of the character creation where you uh, create a... And it's sort of vaguely described. Although I think I'm getting to that. They're called like a love interest? It, it asks you, who do you dream of oh, at night? Oh, that's what it is. I and guess I think, that's part of the plot. I think the implication is you, you create someone that your character would think is attractive. Right. Or uh, possibly... A, yeah, I don't know. Who yeah, knows? I mean, I think it's cool that you can have same-sex couples. Like, oh, yes. That's 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 really neat. I like the diversity of it. It seems to be just across the board, one of those games where they don't actually care yeah. uh, whether you're male or female. Uh, they let you ch- have a beard whether, you know, whether or not whoever you are. Yeah, no, that's uh, cool. They let you change to have a, a masculine or feminine voice, whoever your character looks like. Yep, that's right. Yep. You, you can choose your, your love interest is whatever you want to be, whatever race or gender or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's very flexible in that regard. Uh, for gameplay, again, I thought the movements were odd, um, but that just could be me not understanding the controller. Like I said, I thought the color contrast made it hard to play for me, like red on red. I would like to have each character roll for initiative instead of the turn-based play. I want to roll dice. <laughs> I want to roll dice. Yeah. And we need access to a spell book. Hopefully that's coming mm. Further on down the road. I mean, because I don't play a lot of spell-based characters. So, I mean, I knew basic stuff. The spells are there, but they're not laid out in an easy way to No, they're not. They're not. Final thoughts. I really want to try out the team party aspect. I think that sounds really cool. Also, if you want a nice tutorial, check out Joe Cat on YouTube. You brought that up. His D&D parodies are hilarious. But he does a good job on his um, kind of play first playthrough. And it's really honest about what works and what doesn't work. So I, I appreciate it. That, that's a good resource. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think uh, this is also like, this is early release, like early access. This is the first couple of days has been available. So obviously a lot of stuff is not great yet, but you have to expect that you can't expect it to be. And if anything, I think that like the sort of the, the, the bones of the system, like, the, the, the basics that they can build on are all great. They mm-hmm. just need to sort of build it out, add more classes. Sure. Add all the things they're missing. Make it more robust. I, I do sort of agree with you. I, I sort of missed having the, like, the dice aspect of it. And I think they sort of, they kind of abstract a lot away a lot of that dice rolling. Mm-hmm. I, I would be nice if they show it. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I think um, they, they, they stayed much closer to 5th uh, edition rules than I expected, and it's great. It works really well. There's a couple changes they make, but I think the changes are good in general so far. Okay. Fingers crossed. So first off, why do we start this podcast? It, it is partly a, a quarantine project, right? We're spending a lot of time at home, but it's also an expression of our journey as we explore the world of role-playing games. We're both kind of new to this. It's new and exciting. And it's also an excuse to eat cheesesteaks. I mean, who doesn't love a cheesesteak? I thought it was something, uh, I thought it would be cool to try out. I'm a big podcast fan, and I especially love podcasts that teach me something or are, like, entertaining. So my hope for this podcast is that our audience is entertained and learn something new. I feel that our perspectives regarding the industry are different from what's currently out there. Myself, as a Latinx female player, I've only really started playing within the past couple years. I was working on sort of creating a community for myself amongst the local gaming community here in Philadelphia. But when COVID hit, I feel like it erased a lot of the ground I was working on. 
So creating a podcast was a way for us to continue to be involved in the RPG community and uh, by learning and growing and teaching others about RPG gaming. So back to this question, why, why do we play RPGs in the first place? Personally, I'm a, a big nerd. I'm a big, I like improv comedy. I've taken a, a number of courses and, and time on stage up in New York. Uh, I really like strategy games. I like I love games where creativity is encouraged, where you can try different things, approach things different ways. Uh, I was always curious about Dungeons and Dragons. It was always always sort of like tang- tangential to my interests, but I never actually got around to it because mm-hmm. it seemed too complicated to try on my own. Right. Um, I like to play it because for me, it's an es- escape from reality. It's also fun, and I like really the teamwork aspect of it, you know, when teamwork actually works during the game and not against the game. Um, I have a lot of fun playing it, and it's a way for me to meet new people, which is great for me because I can be somewhat introverted. Plus all the books. We're sitting in my office right now recording this podcast, and I remember when I started playing D&D, there was a massive book sale at Amazon, and I bought just about every book there was that Christmas. Her- so, oh. No, I mean, I love research, so this really fits up my alley. Yeah, your collection of books is pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, I do like this. Like, it, It's sort of deep in the sense of like something you can really dive into. Uh, but more than that, I just I love like getting a group of bunch of friends at a table and spending time together, right? It feels like modern life gets so isolating. Video games are always single player or single player in your own home right, kind of thing. Right. And with COVID going on, it's even tougher to get people together, even if we have to play online. Yeah, I mean, thank goodness for something like Roll20 or Foundry, which I had never heard about really until COVID. No, actually, before that, we were playing Adventure League on Roll20. Yes. We were really into Adventure League for like a long time. Uh, I believe that was season eight. So Kevin introduced us to Roll20, and we were playing with people from like all over. And that was like super cool to experience that. I was like, wow, technology. (laughs) (laughs) You know, fun fact, if you tell people you're willing to be the Dungeon Master, players will just show up. Uh, It's funny how that works, huh? So speaking of playing games, types of characters we each like to play. I thought we'd talk about this for a minute. I personally like playing characters that I feel like can do lots of of different things. This usually means like playing some kind of spellcaster who, you know, a big collection of spells. And uh, druids in particular I end up sort of gravitating to. Uh, I also have players that are sort of characters that are sort of playful and silly, like goofy, fun to, fun to be. Uh, the first character I ever played as uh, was a gnome druid uh, in a campaign with some of my improv friends. His name is uh, Kellen, a uh, professor from uh, his own sabbatical, quote, quote. And it's it's fun. This like character could shoot lightning or heal t- teammates or turn to a bear and just like run into battle uh, head, head first. And it was, it was a fun character outside of Battle 2 where it was just this, like, happy-go-lucky, super curious guy who would just go out and try anything and get into a lot of trouble in the process. What's funny was when I first, like, heard about a druid or read about a druid, I was like, oh, this is, like, kind of boring, right? They're like the granola crunchy kind of character that communes with animals. But I remember... I've seen there was an adventure league we were playing where there was a guy at our table who was like a high level druid. Do you remember that? Yeah. And it was such a cool character. Like I don't like I don't even know what kind of druid he was. Do you remember? Uh, not offhand, but it was Amalgam, right? Yes, yes. at Amalgam Comics here yes. in Philadelphia, and he did the coolest stuff. And I was like, what? And then with uh, the campaign that we play with some folk in Staten Island, he was a professor Kellen. Is that his name? 
And he's small, right? He's a gnome. Oh, yeah. Real small. And I was like, oh, my God. First of all, he's tiny. That is so adorable. And he's pretty badass. Like, I have to say, like, he's done some, like, really cool things. And I was like, maybe I just don't have, like, that kind of imagination. But I I do say I have a a newfound respect for druids. Definitely. It it is fun to play a character with sort of, like, a a built-in motivations. Mm. Where I can say, like, okay, my character cares about the environment, right? Right. You know, sometimes you're, like, wondering about, like, how does my character react to this? You know, what's what's my fighter's motivation? Like, a druid's motivation is, well, what helps protect the environment? What helps sort of deal with extremists and problems that, you know, uh, uh, mess up the status quo? Anyway. Yeah. yeah. No, totally fun. <clears throat> I like characters that aren't in the front line of battle. Uh, I'm like what a lot of Hispanics say, a pendeja. Like, I just don't want to get hurt, right? So it gives me a lot of anxiety when I'm playing uh, because I don't want to lose my character, right? So the first character I've created is a rogue named Neri. She's in our campaign that's over two years now, the one we played oh, yeah. in the area. Yeah. Um, Kevin's the DM. I mean, I liked it. You know, you had suggested a couple different types of characters. One was a rogue. So I kind of looked into it and I thought it was rather easy to build. You know, and I liked the idea of getting the ability to hide. I was like, oh, yes, I can shoot a bow and arrow. Sure. And then from a distance and then, you know, hide if I need to. So, so far I've played, I mostly play el- um, elves or half elves, and I have a halfling. So I have an elf rogue. I've played a halfling ranger, um, Chica, because she's small. That's my season eight slash part of nine adventure league. Uh, she's a level 11, I think, is finally I kind of left her at that. I've played a tabaxi. That's super fun. A cat tabaxi, because, you know, who doesn't love cats? So, yeah, no, we've, uh, I feel like I've dived in like a bunch of different things. Um, I'm now playing in Pathfinder. I have a sorcerer. Yes. And I have a halfling bard that's dipping into necromancy, which I'm mm. so excited about. <laughs> so much fun. Who would have thought it? Uh, yeah, in uh, Pathfinder, I've been tr- trying a couple different things, but I've, uh, most, right now I'm playing a, uh, a druid, which is really fun because I have this like big sort of uh, uh, giant panther that just sort of helps me out all the time. I can pull out all kinds of tricks like turning into a dinosaur or flying or whatever I need to. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about cheesesteaks. The best part of this podcast. The best. When people think about Philadelphia, a cheesesteak is probably one of the first things that comes to mind. Uh, there's a lot of rivalry between cheesesteak johns and there's a lot to choose from. So we decided to check out two that are located in Old City, which is sort of the uh, historic district of Philly. And we chose to look at uh, Campos and Sunny's, uh, both of which are been around for a long time. Do you want to explain what a John is? John is it's it's kind of a it's kind of a nonsense word that just means anything. Anything, anything I'm talking this about. This John or that John. This John that I'm pointing at right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a Philly thing. It's so. a Philly thing. I'm not native to here, but I've picked it up and I've run with it. So, <laughs> okay. So for those of you who are not familiar with Philadelphia, uh, there's a section called Old City where apparently all the history has happened. Uh, Market Street was a major commerce area because it's right next to the Delaware River. So our boy Benjamin or Benny Franklin is basically the hometown mascot here. So sorry, gritty fans. A few Sundays ago, we ventured out to Market Street and chowed down on some well-known cheesesteak johns. Note, we did practice social distancing and wore masks. So, yes, we were fine. We take our cheesesteak seriously. No soggy bread. Uh, Don't cheap out on the meat. 
Uh, we need good cheeses. Grilled onions, yes. Uh, not too greasy. Some grease is good. Yes, some grease is good. <laughs> Old school definition of a cheesesteak is just combine frizzled beef, onions, and cheese on a small loaf of bread. Uh, a lot of people tell you the traditional cheese is uh, provolone or cheese whiz. They say that the these brothers, uh, Patton and Henry Olivieri, uh, back in the 1930s, were working a hot dog stand, decided to... Uh, chop up some beef, make themselves a little sandwich, tried it out. Uh, supposedly they sold one to a cabbie. And s- since then, that just grew into Pat's King of Steaks. Yes, there's a big rivalry between Pat's and Gino's, which we plan on visiting at some point because we could not have a cheesesteak podcast without going down there. So yeah, we went to Campos, which is located at 214 Market Street. So they obviously specialize in cheesesteaks. With a couple different varieties, but they also had some other sandwiches to choose from. According to the website, Campos is a family-run sandwich shop that's been making Philly's best cheesesteaks, hoagies, and specialty sandwiches since 1947. And there was a pretty decent crowd out there getting sandwiches there. Yeah, yeah so sure. They're, yeah, they're, they're known. So at Campos, they use a shaved ribeye steak. Six different types of cheeses you can choose from. And they had a few different bread choices, including gluten and vegan. So we ordered like your basic, basic, regular cheesesteak um, with provolone and grilled onions. Um, it did take a while to prepare, but we appreciated that it was fresh. So we didn't mind the wait. And it was beautiful that day. It was really nice outside. <laughs> it was a nice day. It was, yeah. It tasted, it was really good. I mean, I enjoyed it. But, you know, I'm, I'm a cheesesteak fan. So, but I thought that the amount of meat and the thickness of a roll were not as substantial as what I've had for other cheesesteaks. Especially for the price. I think it was about $11, right? It's a little the pricey side. Yeah. Uh, we only ordered one cheesesteak because we didn't get, we didn't want to get full because we knew we would be consuming another cheesesteak within like the next 20 or 30 minutes. So, so yeah, other than it seemed kind of skimpy, um, the flavor was good. Not sure if the skimpiness was the norm or a supply issue. Who knows with COVID, like what it could be. Um, but we did enjoy it. I would definitely, if people say they wanted to go there, I'd say, yeah, you'd, you'd get a good cheesesteak. So I think we're going to rate this about three out of five dragons, right? Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Okay. Uh, next, we went uh, about a block away from there was Sonny's Famous Steaks, 228 Market Street. This is a nice place. It seemed just a, a little bigger, a little bit uh, busier kitchen. Uh, a few more people on staff. Uh, we got the same type of cheesesteak, but this time we went for the cheese whiz. Yeah, I insisted on the whiz. The cheese whiz is good, is the way to do it. <laughs> whiz wit. We like this one better, but the bread the bread is more substantial. It had more meat. Uh, it was also like a buck cheaper than uh, than Campos. Mm-hmm. And it came out quicker. Uh, maybe it's just because they had more folk on staff. Who knows? Right. Yeah, I really like this one. I thought that was, I thought it was pretty good. It was, it was solid cheesesteak. It was tasty. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, yeah, three and a half, maybe four dragons out of five. Okay, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I actually had to look this up for the episode. I didn't really notice that ribeye steak was, uh, one of sort of the official meats to, to use, uh, cuts of meat to use for cheesesteak. That uh, is a fascinating, uh, growing up, whip. it was, uh, uh, a steakums in the, the oven. Oh man, I think that's yeah. Steakums don't count as cheesesteaks. I remember getting it those counts. when I was younger. It counts. No, then that stuff is gross, man. If it's it's meat and it's cheesy and it's bad for you and greasy, it's a cheesesteak. Is it meat though? Is it? We'd have to look. One of these nights, I'm going to make one and we'll test it. Sure. 
So let's wrap things up. Uh, let's just talk about the things that made us happy this week. I have been making inroads with Noemi's puppy. Uh, it's a cute little dog. And she is a little uh, hesitant at first, but, you know, with enough treats and enough uh, patience, she is we're warming up to each other. And I just love that moment when you, like, win over a dog. Mm. It, it is just, there's nothing better in the world. You can conquer the world after that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm happy. I adopted a dog. We call her a puppy because she's a very petite for a beagle. She's four years old, though, and <laughs> she's pretty cool. I haven't had a dog in a long time. Um, so this is definitely bringing me back memories of, of having a dog and walking a dog as a kid. So she's a beagle. Her name is Lindy. Uh, she's, she's great. I love her. She is, uh, she's my BFF already. We're, we're, we're tight. So you'll see more of her on our Instagram page at Dragons with Wiz. You'll see some photos of Lindy being a broadcaster and putting her two paws in. And uh, you'll see some behind the scenes photos of us. You know, the cheesesteak photos are there most importantly. So it's also the name of our Twitter handle. So follow us. And we're especially interested in uh, your comments about cheesesteaks and anything we may have said that uh, you don't agree with as far as D&D or Baldur's Gate. <laughs> We're looking forward to all of those conversations. Sure. We'll have a lot to talk about in a few episodes, and we hope to uh, talk to you then. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye.